Jesse William Ross was a 19-year-old from Gravois Mills, Missouri. He was a DJ and was on the verge of starting a career in radio. In the early morning hours of November 21st, 2006, Jesse was in Chicago at a student seminar. During a break, he left the conference room. His friends thought he'd be right back. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Animals, including humans, are not made to work 24 hours, 7 days a week. Trying to do so will eventually turn both our minds and our bodies to jelly. In fact, rest is so important in our lives that we spend, if you listen to medical professionals, one-third of our lives sleeping. That we devote an entire room of our apartments or houses to just lying around that we buy beds and mattresses worth thousands of dollars that we only use at the most eight hours a day. But there is another kind of rest besides sleep. It's the kind that allows us to take a few minutes during a tough job. The kind that allows us to go to the bathroom, catch a smoke, or get a drink. The kind that allows us to mingle with our coworkers as friends and not as colleagues. Something that is important to fostering teamwork. And we also sometimes need uh, pauses in our relationships, as Rachel and Rosh showed us on Friends. We can't do everything all the time. We're just not built like that. Well, in the case of Jesse Ross, he was in Chicago on an exciting trip, although technically it was mostly about work. He was there with friends, and they were having a great time. Yet, unfortunately, they were close to the end. Just one more unexpected work period, and they'd all go home. Then, Jesse disappeared. And his friends and family are left to wonder what happened during the final break. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend, Megan Good's website, charlieproject.org. Jesse Ross was not who he appeared to be. To a stranger, well, he was skinny had wire-rimmed glasses, and looked like Opie from the Andy Griffith Show. But underneath all of that was a young man with ambition. He was a long-distance runner. He did well in school. He could be a trickster. And Jesse was such a great intern at a radio station that the manager offered him a job at 19 years old. Never judge a book by its cover. So November 20th, 2006... Jesse was in Chicago with his fellow students and friends for a mock United Nations conference. It had been four days long, and the 20th was the last day of the meetings. But just when the students thought they were done for that evening, the conference organizers called an unexpected emergency to simulate what would happen in real life if some kind of worldwide danger presented itself. All the students, including Jesse, showed up as they were required to do. A few hours later, in the early morning hours of the 21st, 
and in the middle of their work, a break was called. As soon as this happened, Jesse said something to one of his friends, then left the room. He was never seen again. Since November 21st, 2006, all sorts of rumors and theories have permeated the true crime community regarding this case. In fact, Jesse Ross's disappearance stands to be one of the most well-known Unfound has covered to this point. Yet despite all the talking and writing, questions still remain. Number one, what exactly did Jesse say to his friend before leaving the conference room? Number two, if Jesse did leave the hotel, why was he not seen on any camera systems or by any witnesses on the streets of Chicago that early morning? And number three, if Jesse went into the Chicago River, for example, to commit suicide, why was he not found? Since experts in the city say with almost 100% certainty that a body would have been discovered during their searches. Jesse's family has their own theory regarding his disappearance. However, there is still no proof to back up their beliefs. The guest for this episode is Jesse's father, Donald Ross. Unfound news. We are quickly coming to the end of another year. 2019 has been a spectacular year for Unfound. I think we raised the bar for investigative journalism in podcasting, and frankly, I think we do better work than any other program out there. But I don't do this alone, so I need to thank all of my assistants for all of their devotion to Unfound. Emily Hannabooth, Cherie Biggs, Carrie Welburn, Heather Dobbins, and Dr. Eric Grabowski. Next, next week we will be releasing our fourth update episode. Lots to talk about. I predict it will be a long program, probably over three hours in duration. I am pleased that I will be able to cover some cases that have not gotten any attention in the first three update episodes. Finally, I hope all of you have a wonderful Christmas, whether it's in sunny Florida or in snowy, well, just about anywhere else. I want you to be safe. Cherish these moments. As Iron Maiden says, so understand, don't waste your time always searching for those wasted years. Face up, make your stand, and realize you're living in the golden years. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and Facebook. On Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us on YouTube for the Unfound live show. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This week, I need to thank Elise and Laura. You can also contribute at PayPal, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address. Merchandise, the books at Amazon.com in both ebook and print form. You know what I'm going to say next. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. Cards at makeplaincards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the father of Jesse Ross, Donald Ross. Donald, 
Welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I, it's a pleasure having you on the program. Let's start here. Uh, Jesse, of course, is your son. How many children do you and your wife have? We have two sons. Okay. And was Jesse the older one or the younger one? Jesse was our youngest. Youngest, okay. Yes, our oldest boy, Andy, he's uh, now living out in Arizona. He's working with a firm out there. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, you want your, with your children, you want them to go out and make a life and be happy. And that's what we wanted, and Andy's done that, so kind of got half of what we wanted. Okay. Um, how close were Jesse and your other son in age? Were they close in age, and were they close personally? How did how did they all how did the two get along? Uh, Andy is three years older than Jesse. Uh, they they uh, along very well. Uh, I think Jesse got a job at a theater somewhere at one of the movie theaters, and he got Andy hired on, and they. Would, spend time with their theater friends and they would get to go to pre-showings together and um, different, you know, different personalities but nonetheless they had a lot of things in common okay so three years difference so Jesse was 19 when he disappeared so your other son would have been roughly 22 when this all happened yes okay let's talk about Jesse as an individual what do you remember about him maybe as a little kid you know, um, you know, growing up, was he like into video games or was he into nature? You know, what were his interests? Uh, I worked with the lady years ago, and she told me she was always getting phone calls about her youngest son getting into his school and things. And she said there will always be that one child. She loved them all, but there will always be that one child that you will forever remember uh, because of their uniqueness. And I'd say that was Jesse. He enjoyed uh, enjoys music, and uh, he was interested in politics. That's why he got into his model UN thing. Uh, he majored in communications, and mm. he uh, uh, was interested in the public and people, and uh, just mm -hmm. a wide variety of, of things. Uh, mm -hmm. He was involved through his school. He was involved in a I think it was called uh, Crowd something, and he would get to go to major sports events and concerts and just kind of walk around with a big flashlight and make sure everything was okay. Just, uh, mm -hmm. you know, numerous things. Jesse, there was no limit to the things that interested him. He was interested in a lot of different things. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Did I see a picture of him... Uh, running was he on a track team or something like that? Did I see a picture of him running? Yes, he was a, a member of the uh, O'Hare High School track team. He was also part of their cross country as well. Wow! Yeah, he had uh, interest in both. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he and Andy shared that also. They both were involved. That's tough. Long distance running or cross country running is tough. Running over the ground like that—I mean, it's difficult. Yes, I always, I always tease my wife and say, "Here, you, we're going to drive, you know, for forty-five minutes to get to a place. We let Jesse out, 
Uh, he runs into some trees and we sort of sit around for 15 minutes or so and he comes out of the trees at the other end and the race is over. Huh. Huh. Uh-huh. Nice. We were glad he was involved and yeah. cheered him on and supported him. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, he he had the interest in this and then, of course, he, he followed Kate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, just a variety of Chiefs football stuff. Him and my yeah. wife were avid sports fans. I was not so much. But, huh. But it was, you know, they. It was for them. He would get. He would get all these uh, chiefs uh, memorabilia out, scattered around the room while they yeah. play their games and stuff. The red, the red and white, right? Kansas City Chiefs, red and white. Yes. Okay. Uh, he had this. He had this little foam brick. You know, they call it the bag call brick or something. And I guess if you're not happy, you can throw it at your TV or whatever. Uh huh. <laughs> He was so much into all of this stuff. Okay. All right. Well, I'm a Steelers fan, so don't hold that against me, Donald. Um, Not at all. Okay. Um, You mentioned music before. Uh, Was he a musician, or when you say music, was he just into, you know, trying out, you know, different bands and finding new new artists and things, or did he play an instrument as well? He was involved with the band. Uh, They, they, all are kind of older now, and I think they don't get together as often, but for a number of years, they get together, and uh, <clears throat> he had uh, sponsored a uh, Catholic uh, uh, charities event, and it's called Battle of the Bands, and he set up a restaurant up north somewhere, and they had all these bands, and, and uh, that was like his senior project, and then he had, hmm. along with this, the uh, gentleman he worked with at this movie theater was part of a band, and he introduced Jesse to the band. And Jesse became kind of like their manager, and he would set up uh, play dates and, mm-hmm. and uh, various things for them. So he was—he didn't play an instrument or sing or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had this tremendous bass voice. He, you know, you always see the tall, skinny guys play in the. Uh, with the, the major bass voices in the, the quartets and so on. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was kind of like that, but I never could talk him in. I tried to get him involved in a little music, and yeah, uh-huh. I didn't feel like he had the voice for it. So he just chose to stay kind of on the business side. Yes, I think he enjoyed that, uh, interfacing with people. Jesse, just, when he would meet somebody, he would just turn on the big smile and, uh, he just really uh, was a people person. Okay. And how did he end up choosing to go to UMKC, which I understand is University of Missouri at Kansas City? How did he choose to go there? Well, we sat down and we talked about that. Of course, he was real big on KU, uh, but KU is across the state line from where we used to live, and the tuition was substantially higher. Right. Of course, then you have, you know, famous last words. I sat down with him and I told him about that. And I said, you know, KU is huge. I said, you could get lost there. Uh, mm-hmm. Those words kind of come back to haunt me now. But I yeah. was concerned that with such your attention, you 
probably get from a real smaller school. And two, a UMTC, he could stay at home and oh. uh, uh, commute back and forth. And he didn't mind that. He had his little, yeah, little area down in the basement, had him all set up with his stereo and computer and everything, so he didn't mind. Okay. All right, so he goes to UMKC, he could commute, which, uh, of course, cuts down on expenses and and everything, and he can eat, I guess, home cooking, maybe from you and his mother, maybe? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, when when was the first time that you um, noticed that you would already mention music, but he got this internship at this radio station, and the way I understand it, this was – at the time of his disappearance, seemed to be going in a very positive direction. What did you think when he ended up getting this internship at the radio station? Well, we thought it was funny. We we uh, had never really thought about him doing something like that. But then, as we you know, as we kind of the idea, we realized, yeah, this is kind of perfect for that thing. He's so outgoing and. Uh, this way, he reaches so many people, and uh, you know, it was just just kind of interesting. He did that. Uh, he even once uh, he was on the air, and uh, I had I came into work, and uh, he I had talked with him on the phone, and he told me, "Yeah, he said you can get it on the internet. We're on the internet. You can hear us on there." So I was able to get on to his website and uh, I could hear 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 uh, everything going on and I mm. could actually see they had different cameras there and I could see the DJ and I could see Jesse sitting at a desk and all my co-workers got on their computers they got excited and uh-huh. I watched it and uh, I just I told him I said well now I said all my co-workers are on here and he said you need to be nice you know and he kind of gave me a like, <laughs> one finger uh oh! You see what he did? You see what he did? And I said, "Well, that's just Jeff." Uh huh. Yeah, it was something else. We we once we kind of got uh, accustomed to the idea, we thought, "Yeah, this is Jesse. It's probably where he belongs." Mm-hmm. They uh, they call him Opie Cunningham. Yes. Uh, right. Ron Howard. Right. Opie, and then the uh, Happy Days to Cunningham. Right. Well, I, I have to admit, I can't see a bit of a resemblance, Donald. I can say that. So that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. He had his own song. They would play his theme song, and because they played so much of it, kind of the rap and some of the uh, that, that type of music, they, his theme song was always about the little white boy, you know. And, uh, oh my! For Jesse, oh my! Little, yeah, crazy stuff. This radio station. Yeah. Very wild, and that Jesse just fit in like a glove. Let me tell you. Okay. All right. Well, that's fine, and I'm sure that um, being that he was on the video and he's on, you know, in this radio station, that provided hours of uh, bragging to your coworkers and friends about it too. For you, right? You're very proud. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. All right. Um, did that surprise you? You know, knowing that uh, he got the. We have to be clear. It was an internship that uh, was going to turn into a job. But did that surprise you that uh, he caught on there as well as he did? No, he would share with us some of the things that were going on. Uh, for instance, we learned that uh, another interesting facet, they uh, 
sent Jeff certain things, sort of uh, his introduction to the the radio world, and so they would send him out in the Kansas City area, and then he would kind of broadcast remotely, and he would give clues, and the uh, audience, radio audience, would listen to those clues, and they had to try to find him. I guess maybe there was a prize or something, but you know they call it Where's Opie, which has become uh, uh-huh. titled for a couple of books I did. I called them Where's Opie, and right. uh, later on we had some events that were sponsored with uh, Jesse's uh, story in mind, and so on. And they made T-shirts that said Where's Opie on them. Also, mm-hmm. so. Uh, it was just kind of uh, one of those things to where he was up for anything. He was willing to do whatever they wanted him to do. He called his boss up on the phone, and he had to call him a big dummy five times before the conversation ended. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. That does sound like one wild radio station, Donald. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think, he was, I think he was just the star inmate at the... Uh, one of our local institutions. Uh huh. I know. I would have liked to have called a couple of my former bosses big dummies. So uh, that's quite of that's quite a, a thing that he got to do. That I'm envious. Okay. Um. So let's. Uh, how long would you say that he had that internship before he disappeared? How long was he at the radio station? Oh gosh, I don't know. Quite a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was kind of. His own person, you know, so we weren't always aware of what he was doing a lot of the time. Often we might hear from somebody else, and they would let us know what he was doing. But uh, uh-huh. I, I really don't know. I it, it was quite a while, I know that, but I, I can't recall just when it started. Okay. So would you say maybe a year, year and a half? Uh, quite possibly. Okay. Because uh, he was... He was a junior. Right, in college. I'm sorry, he was a sophomore. 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 So it would have started within the previous year or that year he turned uh, the sophomore grade. So okay. uh, somewhere in there. Okay. How did he end up, and we have to be clear about this, we're going to talk now about him going to Chicago in 2005, not 2006 when he disappeared. How did he end up going to Chicago in 2005? How did that happen? Okay, well, there was a, a uh, Model UN conference going on in 2005, and he uh, was really interested in it, and he signed up for that. And uh, I took him to the bus station that down in Kansas City, the train station down there, and then uh, he basically caused a train, and uh, from there went on up to Chicago, and apparently... Uh, mm-hmm. At that time, we weren't aware that he was that interested in politics, but apparently mm-hmm. he had uh, developed a strong interest in, in the government and what was going on. And I, I, in talking to him later, I think he really felt like he would make some kind of a difference. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it appealed to him. Was this um, either year, 2005 or 2006, maybe together? Is this like a, something that is required for the students to do? Do they have to pay for it? 
I mean, how did you how do you understand how did you understand that? Maybe you can pass that along to the listeners. Was it a requirement for a class or, or, or what? I think it basically was just something that the UMKC and a number of other schools uh, were aware of and that they wanted the students to take part in. I don't think it uh, had any connection to any particular classes or mm. grades, that type of thing. And I mm. think it just, you know, Jesse became aware of it. He thought it sounded like something good. And he had been to Chicago previously. So I, I think the uh, lure of the mm-hmm. big city was uh, part of that also. But, yes, he was generally interested in politics. Okay. And that was part of part of what he uh, really uh, wanted to be involved in. Okay. Did, now, did he have to pay to go? Or maybe you paid. None of my business, I guess. But it, you had to pay. I mean, there's a hotel room. You're staying there for some days. Um, who pays for this? I there's a a, a uh, group that that puts these things on mm-hmm. as far as the uh, hotel and as far as that end of it, expenses and so on. Uh, I think that probably all went to the school. I don't think he it cost anything. It, if if you were willing to go, all you had to do was sign up. Wow. Care of the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. And the way I understand it is, uh, and I'm guessing, is this something that goes on to this day, 2019? They, some UNN, are they still doing that? I don't, I don't know. Do you know? Yes, they are. Uh, they do. At least the last I've heard, it's still ongoing. And uh, they, after Jesse disappeared, it kind of scared me a little bit. They were talking about taking high school students up there oh. and doing. Okay. Uh, that's scary because. High school students can be even more uh, unpredictable and college students. Yeah, right. That's true. Yes, Uh, and they we understand. uh, I don't know about present day, but uh, after Jesse disappeared, there apparently in the uh, the information and in the uh, the presentations they did for students coming duly into the program, they would cover. What happened to Jesse and cautioned them about uh, being careful in the big city. Right. All right. And what goes on uh, at these conferences? It's over a series of days, maybe four days. And each student who attends is signed like a, a different country, and they represent that country. They learn about that country, and they have these these um, meetings, like mock meetings, what might actually happen at the real United Nations. Is that kind of the general idea? Yeah, that's correct. It's an okay. opportunity to see how the, mm-hmm. the United Nations uh, actually works and uh, sort of get an inside feel for it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I might have liked to have gone and done something like that like over 25 years ago. That's how old I am. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um and you said that he had he in two thousand five at least he had to get on a bus or a train. Was transportation not provided by the school, or did he had to find his own transportation in two thousand five? How do you remember it? In, okay, in two thousand five, the school had determined that they would use, I guess, the Amtrak. So we went down to Union Station here in Kansas City, and uh, mm. there was, all the students were together and they would ride up together and back I guess on Amtrak 
and uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, I think in 2006 they had uh, decided to do differently, but right. that year that's that's how it worked out, and uh, I uh, do remember taking him down there, and he was excited, and him and I got to talk quite a bit, and then his of course and his friends began to show up like. Uh, he was kind of getting in, into the uh, Chicago frame of mind. Right. And that's why I'm trying to point that out because I know that in 2006 they took like like vans up, the like cargo vans, passenger vans up there, whereas in 2005 it was something different. Something different. Yes. Okay. Uh, for whatever reason, they just didn't want to mess with the, uh, the trains again in 2006. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think it was the money involved. All right. That that wouldn't probably make sense, especially if you get a group, a large group of kids going. It might be more economical just to get passenger vans than put them all on a train for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Now, something did happen in 2005, and uh, I think a lot of people who know about Jesse's disappearance know about this, but um, but maybe not. Um, he had a run-in where I, I guess the general term would be he got mugged. Um, what did you learn about that? Did he tell you about that when it happened or did he not, did you not find out about, about it till we got home? What do you know about whatever happened in 2005 when he was in Chicago? Okay. Well, uh, on that trip, he called us, it was uh, shortly before he was to come home, but he called us while he was still in Chicago and he had taken my video camera with him. Uh, up to Chicago, and then he was essentially telling me that he had been at a party or some event, and he remembered he wanted to take some uh, pictures before he left. So I'm thinking it was maybe like 1 a.m., and he gets his camera, and he takes off, and he's crossing this park at 1 in the morning, and uh, apparently some individual with a knife uh, took the camera from him. And... uh, so that's about all we heard. Uh, I kind of asked him if he reported it to police, and he said no. He didn't think it would do any good. Yeah. Uh, Jesse's a pretty creative individual, so sometimes I take what he says with a grain of salt. And I'm not always sure, uh, you know, that he's uh, uh, telling me exactly what happened. But uh, anyway, that's the information he gave us. Well, then I, I got to ask you something. I mean, if you're going to bring that up as a reporter, I have to ask you, ask you this. Is that what you think happened? I only think it's possible that happened. Mm. I would not be surprised at all if he had been at a party, laid the camera down, and then uh. come back later and it was gone. Uh, okay. I, I, okay. I have to say, Jesse could be creative at times. You know, it sounded better that someone mugged him. But again, I would, you know, all things considered, and what we know about Chicago, the mugging yeah. would not have surprised me at all. Of course. So, uh, the main thing was Jesse made it home. Right. He was safe. So, I said, I told him, I said, get another camera. Don't worry about mm. it. Okay. Well, I appreciate your honest, honesty on that, Donald. I appreciate that. And it very well may be. That, that he was mugged, and you're right, Chicago, not the safest city in America, a, a, a huge understatement there. 
Um, it could absolutely could have happened. And we can see all sorts of videos on YouTube with people walking down the street and people attacking them and taking their stuff. Certainly, absolutely possible. And I can also see, you know, why didn't he call the cops? I mean, what are they going to do? He doesn't even live there. He's going to be going back to Missouri the next day. You know, the cops are going to, you know, fill out the paperwork, then probably forget about it. He's okay. You know, what are they going to do? So I can see Jesse's side of it, you know, being that he didn't call the police or anything else. Okay, so that's what happened. But he was alone. I think the most important part of that, given that he disappeared the next year, is he was alone when this happened. Yes, he uh, he had no fear. He's Mm -hmm. here in Florida City uh, in his uh, position with the radio station. Not only did he do the show, but... They even, uh, he showed up one day driving one of those remote uh, vehicles, like a van with huge speakers, and I guess they can drive it anywhere they want, plug a cable in and do remote broadcasts. Yeah. And he would uh, be all over Kansas City. I mean, he'd go downtown late at night and he just, like I said, no fear. Okay. All right. So he gets home fine in, in 2005 and continues his education. Of course, he has this internship at the radio station, and, you, know, which he's, you know, which he's doing very well. Obviously, he's very popular, but he's not getting paid for that, is he? It's, is he, it's just an internship. No, it wasn't. Now, he did. Apparently, he had a friend who referred him, and he was working a, a job, a paying job with some kind of voiceover internet company. So uh, that's why I say he okay. had so many irons in the fire. There was a job trying to keep track of what all he was mm-hmm. doing. And, it, and on top of all this, he was going to school and he was living at home. Yes. Okay, so he wasn't spending a lot of time at home it, except to sleep, it sounds like it. Yes, basically. We, you know, it, children grow up and they yeah. lives of their own and both he and his brother had a lot of things going on, so we uh, just every now and then we uh, we usually end up calling Jesse, and Jesse would hunt Andy down because Andy was so hard to get hold of, and then you know we would say, "Well, we want to do dinner Friday or whatever." So we usually get them together once in a while, try and find out what was going on with them. Okay. But generally, yeah, they had lives. Of course, it sounds like it, and good ones. Um, so, um, you had mentioned that Jesse had worked at this theater. Was that just something he did in high school, or did he continue to do that once he went to college? Uh, he worked at the theater, uh, well, let's see, it, in fact, it was after he got out of high school, really, that he, mm-hmm. uh, got on to, to, to the theater job, and I guess he was doing that theater work for quite a while. I, I believe that uh, probably shortly before he went missing, I think he had left the theater job. But uh, him and Andy had worked there for, for quite a while. And, uh, again, just one of those things, I have no clue how he stumbled on it. One or the other, either Jesse or Andy, uh had applied for a job, and then when one of them got hired, I think it was Jesse, referred it on to his brother, and that's that's how they got that going. And, uh, 
I did that for quite a while, but I think the radio station, even though it was an internship, I think it sort of began to, you know, take a major of course. portion of his time, and I think he just sort of eased out of the theater job at that time. Okay. So we come up to uh, going to Chicago in 2006. Uh, I'm guessing, being that he went the year before, this is something uh, that he was looking forward to. Uh, did you talk to him about it before he, he left? Uh, what kind of conversations did you have with him about going before he went to Chicago? Uh, yes, we we talked to him. He was very excited about it, and he was uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, and I know his mom had a convert. You know, mother, his mom had a conversation reminding him of last year and telling him to be especially careful and uh, you know realize it's a big city and all that. And of course, he was you know he was. Uh, sure of himself, mm-hmm. and he told her, "You know, I know big city." And he said, "You, you're, you're not the one that had a knife pulled on you." And he said, "So, you know, I know, I know to be careful." So, uh, we had the little parents' uh, safety session mm-hmm. before he went. Okay. But, uh, yeah, he, he was very excited. He was anxious to to uh, participate again in, in 2006. Okay. How close was he with the other students who were going? Would you say any of Jesse's best friends were going, or would you say the group, the other uh, students that were going were kind of just acquaintances? How would you portray these other students compared to Jesse? Well, Jesse, uh, one of the students was a friend of Jesse's that he had gone to high school with and who was also uh, attending UMKC with him. So they were very close uh, Jesse was uh, a popular sort of guy. I mean, one of those, like to say, a quick smile and a big sense of humor and everything. So I think he, he knew it, pretty much everyone that was going along. And uh, we, had, we had kind of seen some interviews and things with people who had ridden up in the van with him. And, and uh, I think they were uh, acquaintances. I think Jesse reaches out a lot. And I think there were people that were familiar with Jesse. Uh, Ralph was probably the only one I, uh, that his uh, high school friend was the only one I'd say that he probably had a real close relationship with. Uh, in general, the others were just, I guess, classmates, people that he knew. Okay. And we've already covered that this year in 2006 – they went up in passenger vans, maybe one or two vans, maybe more. I don't know exactly how many students went, but at least one or two passenger vans instead of, like you said the year before, taking the train. Yeah. There were 13 students altogether from okay. KC. And then there were uh, at least 1,000 students from nationwide schools wow. attending this. Okay. All right, and how far of a drive is it from where he was to Chicago? How many hours? Oh, gosh, I think it's maybe like eight hours. Okay, so not too bad. Uh, Not too bad. I just drove from Pennsylvania back to Florida. That's like almost 17 hours, so eight hours. Not far in my world, but it could be far for some people. Okay, so he gets there, and does he keep in contact with you? Uh, How is it going 
uh, for those, I guess the, the entire conference was supposed to be four days. Uh, was he keeping contact, keeping in contact with you every day, calling or texting 2006 maybe? Um, how was it going? Well, he called me, and uh, when they got into Joliet, they weren't quite to Chicago yet. They were in Joliet, so he called, uh, and we talked for a little bit. Uh, when I originally, when I dropped him off at the school for this trip, well, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I uh, got up, and I took Jesse over to the school to the little parking lot, and I pulled in to this parking lot and there was a pickup and there was a young man standing by it in that parking lot so I let Jesse out I drove down to the end of the parking lot and came back around to the exit and uh, I just pulled up kind of by Jesse he was talking with this other young man and they were kind of waving their arms and laughing and so I didn't want to be the interfering or parent, so I just kind of waved when I caught Jesse's eye, and he waved to me, and then I pulled on out and went back home, and, uh, and so I kind of thought, I think maybe he called me at Juliet, because uh, we hadn't really gotten a chance to say goodbye or anything, and, uh, like that previous year in 2005, we had a real nice talk before he left, but uh, this instance... Uh, I just really didn't get to say much to him. So we talked a little bit, and uh, then I was, when he told me I was in the, the uh, truck, and I was kind of downtown and in the traffic, so I told him I had to, to uh, kind of keep it short because I didn't want to uh, be on the phone too much in the traffic. And then uh, I think later, maybe the next day, whatever, he called and he talked with his mom a little bit. I think he was really into this conference, and, and it, you know he wasn't really thinking a lot about home so much. So uh, we mm. just kind of had a couple of conversations. So would you say over those four days, maybe you talked to him once, and his mother, your wife, talked to him once, or maybe a little bit more than that? Uh, she may have talked to him more. I'm not sure, but I know at least once he called him. He was uh, very enthusiastic about what was going on and excited to share. Uh, one of the sponsors uh, for the event from UMKC had a friend who, uh, I believe, uh, had a house in Costa Rica, and he had talked about maybe next year they could do this thing, go down to Costa Rica and, and uh, mm-hmm. do a little, some kind of wow. meeting down there and everything. So he was just getting all excited about that. He's really into it. Okay. So no complaints. Uh, if he was having any issues with anybody or anything in Chicago, uh, he didn't tell you anything about that. He didn't tell his mother about anything like that. And even since his disappearance, you've never heard about anything that was going on at the conference itself itself that would have been uh, would have bothered Jesse. It seemed like he was having a great time. Yeah, uh, you know, being a, a, a radio personality, uh, you encounter a lot of people, and I know there was, a, like in Kansas City, there was an incident where I think there was a female viewer or listener, and uh, maybe uh, she got to stalking a little bit, and, and uh, the, the uh, 
people that Jesse worked with, they kind of intervened a little bit. And, and uh, at some point, I asked Jesse about it. He said, no. He said, that, that's all settled. He said he had actually talked to this person, and, and then they had worked everything out. So uh, that's the closest we ever had to any uh, difficulties he might have had. And up in Chicago, I just really don't, you know, there was really no one up there that we knew of that, he had any problems with it all. Okay. All right. So he was having a good time. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, college kids are going to do what they're going to do up there. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little later. But what have you learned about November 20th, 2006? This technically was would have been the last day of the conference, even though they weren't going to be coming home till the next day. What do you know about that day as far as, like, Jesse's movements, anything like that? Uh, really, uh, we don't know a lot. He was pretty much into meetings and, and uh, different activities going on, and he was he and uh, his friend, Ralph, they were representing, uh, I think it's Zaire. Uh, I have some Zaire, maybe? Zaire, yeah. I don't know if they call it Zaire anymore, but maybe. Okay. It was, at the time that they were doing this, they had been assigned kind of a special assignment, I guess, because maybe they had worked at this before. They had a special assignment. Uh, this country maybe didn't actually exist anymore, but they were to uh, they were to attend and they were to, uh, I guess, represent the country in the way they thought that uh, a representative would act if this country were still there. Uh-huh. Kind of a little, little special uh, add-on to the, to the Reagan role that most of them were playing. Okay. Uh, so that, that's pretty much what he was involved in. Uh, I could say, uh, he, you know, we, we uh, from everything we've learned, he didn't just go up there because he was going to Chicago and party and run around the mm. club. I'm sure he had some ideas about partying, but but he was also there to learn, and he was very much involved in this process. So, uh, okay, that's that's the information we received was he was very much involved in meetings and whatever was going on within the conference. Okay, and maybe I should ask this: What is your understanding? The the uh, you as you've already said, he was a sophomore. He was 19 at the time. Were there people who were freshmen? Were there people who were juniors and, and seniors? Was it all 19s and 20-year-olds? Would you say there were some 21s and 22-year-olds in there as well? Do you know? I think that it, it basically uh, was available to students from all the way up from freshmen to seniors. So I think there was a wide variety of uh, individuals. Plus, you know, you had the other schools right. as well. Right, right. I think, I think there's, you know, if you were a student, then you were eligible. So I think okay. there's definitely older students and younger students involved. Okay. Now let's talk about this, uh, what has been described. I mean, you weren't there. I, I wasn't there. I don't think either of us has ever been to anything like this. This emergency meeting that was called, is it? the way I interpret that is, 
they kind of thought maybe that the the conference was kind of pretty much over, and then all of a sudden to once again recreate possible real-world scenario, and I think you put it well a minute ago when you said role-playing, kind of a role-playing scenario where there's an emergency meeting, something's happened in the world, and all of these kids, these students had to go back into this conference. Is, is that what happened? Okay, there were a certain number of students, uh, and I forget, uh, I'm thinking maybe there might have been even 19 of them, but there were certain students that were selected in advance to make up the security council. And Jesse and his friend Ralph were two of them. And the uh, yes, it was a mock security council meeting. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I think it may have started 1 a.m. somewhere wow. in there. And uh, it was designed to give them the idea of what it's like when you have a world emergency. And, you know, they don't say, well, we'll wait till everyone gets up in the morning. It, right. You know, you, if you're part of that meeting, if you're involved in that, you have to be there. So uh, Jesse and, and uh, his friend and these other people all had together at that time in a meeting room and, uh-huh. and uh, carry out this particular uh, meeting and, and whatever topic they were discussing. Right. And it, maybe at this point should we state that the hotel that where this conference was taking place was not the hotel where Jesse and at least the students from UMKC were staying. Is that correct? That's right. They had so many students involved, they just couldn't keep them all in one hotel, so they were kind of scattered. Right. Okay. And when this this surprise emergency meeting got called, where was Jesse? Was he at the other hotel where they were staying, or did he just happen to be in the hotel where the conference was taking place? Apparently... Uh, that evening, the 20th, uh, they had a dance. And uh, I understood from the uh, sponsors that Jesse and uh, a lot of the UMKC group had returned to their hotel previously and uh, had even talked about not going to the dance. But then apparently later on the group did return and they came for that dance. And so... Uh, I think after after that was over, I think Jesse was there, and so he was uh, on location for the meeting, so he didn't have to go back and forth. Okay, so conveniently, he happened to be in the correct hotel when this meeting got called. He didn't have to go all, walk all those blocks or however from his hotel to get to this meeting. They were all conveniently there. Yes. All right. Okay, great. Now, I, I think it's already out there, and I, I this is uh, – maybe you don't know this, Donald. I don't know how familiar you are with the program, but we do talk about things maybe that missing people were doing, maybe that they shouldn't have been doing. We do this just to give the listeners a complete idea of what was going on. We have to remember Jesse was 19, under drinking age. Was there drinking by underage people going on that night? Uh, Jesse was pledging a fraternity, and uh, I think, you know, fraternity, they, mm-hmm. part of their big agenda is probably parties. So, uh, yes, I think when Jesse went up there, uh, we had heard that there were a couple of the schools who had set up rooms, and they had alcohol and okay. things in there. People were going there. So we, we do believe that Jesse was drinking. We, you know, at 19, we really 
it was not something we approved that we wanted him to do, but, you know, you can't be there all the time, and, and uh, you really mm. don't have a great control over that. But, sure. You know, we always talked with him about drinking and driving, and he understood that, and, and he didn't, he never drank when he was with us, and I had never seen him uh, drink to the point of being out of control, and uh, people mm-hmm. we talked with said that, that, uh, Jesse did not, uh, he did drink, but that he did not drink to excess. So, okay. Uh, that's, you know, we take it for what it's worth. Okay. okay. On the night, do you have any idea of how much he had drunk? I think that's the correct verb. How much did he drink before this emergency meeting got, got called? Any idea? Any idea? Uh, from what we heard, most of the students had been drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing, uh, reports we got from, uh, people from, like our, we had a PI involved, a private investigator, uh, the information we received was that Jesse was drinking, but that he was able to maneuver and he was able to, uh, do the things that he needed to do, uh, he did go to this meeting mm-hmm. after this party, and uh, his friend Ralph had told us that Jesse, when he went to leave, he stood up, he made, weaved around through the chairs and everything, and, and uh, just you know maneuvered through the room with no problem at all, and then right out the door, so uh, there was no indication that he was out of control, nothing like that. Okay. But... Uh, let me. That is something you know. Please. It's clearly, there was drinking involved. So yeah. Okay. So they're all at this party, and somehow they get alerted that they have to report to this conference room. Not all of the students, just some of them. Uh, two of those people just happened to be uh, Jesse and his friend Ralph. I think that it's it. They may have known in advance that they would be called up for this. I'm okay. not sure. Okay. But, uh, yeah, there were just, there were a select number of people, and I think there was even some documentation. We got hold of some uh, uh, handouts that the students were given, and they, mm-hmm. they kind of showed uh, different things going on, and, and I think there was a listing for that meeting, and it had names on it, so uh, it it just now occurred to me that I think that perhaps that had been prearranged that they knew that they would be involved in this meeting. All right. So maybe it wasn't a total surprise? Right. Okay. Uh, we did. We did see through the police. We were able to get a photograph that someone had brought in, I think, and it showed Jesse at the conference hotel. He was out front under the lights, and he had his phone. And uh, I think something that we had seen in some of his phone records indicated that he had called, prior to the meeting, he had called another student to remind them to be at the meeting. Okay, so so he was calling other people to remind them about this meeting. People weren't calling him, so he was up on, you know, what might be happening. Yes. So, all right, so this meeting is at like 1 in the morning, so now we're into November 21st, 
it goes on. Do you know how long they were in this meeting before they took this break? Uh, from what we understood, it was maybe like 2.30 uh, okay. that they called the break. Okay. And, it, and how long was this break, break supposed to be before they came back and started doing whatever they were doing again? I'm, I'm thinking it was supposed to be maybe 30 minutes. Okay. Like All right. So, sure. so they were going to be keeping these students up through the night. So 1 a.m. to 2.30, come back at 3, maybe go to 4.30, something like that. That's possible? Uh, I think uh, uh, when Jesse left the meeting, Ralph mm. was still there. I think Ralph left the meeting around 6, so we went all the way to 6 Wow. Wow, okay. All right, we're going to come back to that. So he leaves this meeting, and, and, and as many people now know, he leaves this meeting during the break. And he doesn't uh, come back. When do you find out that? And we're going to go and we're going to cover eventually everything in between this. But when do you find out that you know Jesse is not around uh, later that day when everybody is uh, looking to come home? When do? You, how do you find out? When do you find out? Uh, we received a call from one of the sponsors. I received the call at home. It was about 3 p.m. on the 21st. They called, and uh, I worked nights at the time, so I was sleeping, and the phone rang. And, uh, it was a, I, I thought it might be Jesse. He was going to call and tell us when he got ready to leave that it was a sponsor. He advised me that they were unsure of Jesse's location. So it was significantly later that mm-hmm. he learned about it. So 3 p.m. 3 p.m. on November 21st is when somebody finally called you. Yes. And who was that? Uh, it was one of the uh, – there was a sponsor who was actually the, uh, one of the uh, instructors there at the school, and then he had a, a senior student who was working with him, and that is the one who called us. The uh, sponsor decided to – and work with police right. make a report. Okay. And the, okay. And the senior, he, he notified us. Okay. Uh, at that time when they called you, how uh, detailed were you? Was it at that time, if you can remember, and I know it's been 13 years, at that time uh, were they detailed saying, you know what, Jesse was at this meeting, we took a break, and he didn't come back after this meeting? Or were they more just general? I mean, did you have any? Did anybody have any details at that at that time? Uh, no, they simply told us that uh, they were preparing to leave, and at that time they weren't sure where Jesse was, and that they huh. were looking for him, and that they would uh, give us uh, information as they had it. And even at that time, they didn't have a contact number for police or, or anything else. They just, uh, it was still kind of the mode that, that they were still hoping maybe Jesse would wander in and uh, perhaps been uh, crashing in someone else's room. So they mm-hmm. didn't, you know, they didn't really have a lot of specifics to give them. Okay. What did you do, if you can remember, what did you do after that phone call? I mean, did you start 
Obviously, it very well could have been that Jesse might have appeared 10 minutes after that phone call was over. But when did you start getting worried? Maybe you were already worried there, but really worried. How long did that take before you thought, you know, something else is going on here besides Jesse just staying over in somebody else's hotel room? It took me a while to kind of wake up. I mean, it's like, a, it's like someone running in and shaking you awake, yelling something at you, you know, and and, uh, and it was the content, it was a shock. So I I just uh, kind of had to get my head together, and then I went ahead and got, it, got dressed, and uh, I kind of wandered around the house a little bit, didn't know what to do, so I went outside and I wandered around out there and Jesse's car was in the driveway so I looked at it and, you know, it had the usual uh, soda cups and wrappers and stuff all scattered out in it so I just uh, got a trash bag and I started cleaning his car out. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things to where you're, you go into uh, limbo. You know? Yeah. No, I had nobody to call. I had no contacts with the police. I couldn't just hop in the car and drive up to Chicago. And, uh, so I was very much lost. And I yeah. kind of, I think at the, when I had gathered all that trash up and I had set it in the garage, it just kind of hit me that, you know, this is real. This is real. Uh, I think I, I'm fully awake by that time and realized what's going on. And, so I called Donna at work and told her she needed to come home as soon as she could. And uh, at that point, I was kind of chaos. Did you try calling his phone? When they said that they couldn't find him, couldn't reach him, did you try calling his phone at that time? Do you remember? Uh, no. no. Like I say, we were just totally out of it. I, you know, we did, I guess, truth is, we did nothing, but we just kind of went numb and we... We, uh, I don't, maybe a lot of people go through this. Now you think, okay, somebody goes missing, the police need to find them. Yeah. So you're just, you're just hanging in limbo. You're not doing anything. You don't have the focus to get into much of anything at all. You're just wandering around and, and, uh, you know, uh, waiting for something to happen. Uh, that's, that's how that first afternoon went. We just, okay. My wife got home, and, and uh, everything's kind of a blur from then on. Was the sponsor, and I guess maybe this is a professor from that college that that maybe was overseeing all the students, was he or she the one who filed the police report in the missing persons report that next day? Uh, yes, that's correct. We okay. Eventually, we did get to see a copy of the report. Okay. I think it, it was filed around 4 p.m. according to the information on it. Okay. So let's just go over the next few days. So when was the first time you actually um, talked to some sort of police officer, investigator in Chicago, or did you know how long was it before you drove up there yourself? Um, you know, did you talk to the school? What went on maybe over that next maybe five to seven days? Uh, we uh, eventually, I think the uh, the uh, senior student, he came to our house. He 
from Chicago. He drove down and he brought Jesse's things and he was able to show us a diagram of the area and the hotel and he went over those things. And uh, at some point in there, not quite sure, I think it was maybe the 21st, later the 21st, they had contacted us again and he advised that he was coming to bring in Jesse's things. And somewhere in there he gave us a phone number for the police and we were able to call the police. You know, I'm pretty sure that's from the 21st. Uh, okay. And then we, we were able to talk to an officer up there, a detective, and he explained what they were doing and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. and, the, uh, and I received a call later on from a plainclothes individual uh, who was operating undercover, and he was on the street. He wanted a description of Jesse's clothes and everything. We didn't know what Jesse was wearing that last day. We could only give a physical description of him. Right. Uh, but right. it's just, from there, uh, if you jump forward to December 10th, uh, Chicago got uh, socked in really bad with major weather in the East Coast and all over the mm-hmm. eastern part of the country. In 2006, it was kind of record-breaking. Uh, we had already been contacted by some uh, uh, television station from New York, and they wanted to uh, take us to a location there in Kansas City. Then they would patch us into the New York branch, and we would be interviewing with, you know, Good Morning America or some of those people. I don't know who it was for sure. But uh, they canceled that because the weather was so bad that all their coverage went to covering the weather. And we were completely unable to get to Chicago because of the uh, weather. Planes were not going in or out. So uh, that time we were just back at home. Uh, we had, you know, we called family, we called relatives, friends, let them know the situation. And, uh, we we spent a lot of time with family members talking about mm-hmm. why that happened and everything. But I, mm-hmm. I guess maybe you can got it, kind of get a feel there what it's like as parents. You're totally yeah. helpless. Yeah. You know, when you're a thousand, yes. eight hours away and you can't even get a plane up there. So it was just, it's just yes. like, wait, wait, wait. So uh, mm-hmm. that's it. That's probably the, the major impression of those first few days I have. It's just endless waiting and not knowing. Did you get to talk to, uh, once again in those first few days, uh, Ralph? And was he the, the friend, the, the, the guy that had known Jesse you know, for a while? Um, did you get a chance to talk to him in those, those few days? Uh, what we did is we talked to Eventually, both of the sponsors came by our house. Mm-hmm. They were back. We got to talk to them. We explained that we would like to talk to anyone that's spent time with Jesse and because we knew very little about the time he was up there. And we said we'd like to get an idea of people that talked to him and maybe even just get people talking a little bit and maybe something might come of it. And they said, well, we can, we can try that. So... Then they later told us that they had gone to the students, various students, and no one would 
wanted to talk to us at all. And uh, no one wanted to talk to you. No. And then later we talked to a, a woman who uh, was there with Jesse, who we made contact with at some point. Uh, she was uh, making a point. She said that she had been contacted and she felt others had been contacted by the school and told that we were to, they were to leave us alone and not uh, have communications with us because we were basically grieving and so on. So it got a little confusing there about who didn't want us to talk to who, and we were never quite sure on that. So uh, we didn't. That was one of the frustrations, you know. Here all these people were up there in Chicago spending their last days and hours with our son, and we don't get to be a part of it because no one wants to uh, get into it. Okay, so... Do you all right? So you were reaching out. You were trying to reach out to these students, these nineteen through twenty-one year olds, and they didn't want to talk to you. No, that's what we were told anyway. Okay, by these sponsors. Okay, that's what you were told by the sponsors. But what about Ralph? What about Ralph though? Um, you know, I can understand the other students. They don't know you. They maybe never even knew Jesse until they started going to college with him. Whereas Ralph. Um, they went to high school together. They grew up together. Maybe you even knew Ralph when he was a lot younger. What about talking to him? Yes, uh, that was the one thing we had uh, come in contact with a couple of or- missing persons organizations, and they began to help us and give us uh, resources and and uh, help us to kind of know what we should do. They suggested finding a local private investigator who was, would be willing to maybe donate a little time and, and actually help us with the case. And we did that, and we got in touch with the local person, and he was very much interested in Jesse's story, and he was willing to help us out without the, uh, you know, the, the fees and stuff for actually hiring a private investigator or pretty substantial, and most of us aren't really able to do that, but he was willing to put the time in, and he uh, he began to reach out. He contacted Ralph, and Ralph's initial response was that he just wanted to forget the whole thing. He just didn't want to have it all brought back up again, but Ralph was uh, online, and we were able to communicate with him, and we told him our feelings and our frustrations and everything, and so he agreed to talk to the uh, private investigator. So he was interviewed, and a uh, good deal of the information we got about the meeting and what had gone on, uh, we obtained from Ralph. So uh, he was a link for us. I bet I, I'm, I'm not trying to put too fine a point on this, but are you telling me that a guy that knew Jesse for many years just – when he got back to Missouri, just didn't go over to your house and tell you what happened? He needed to be tracked down? Uh, this We thought this was strange, but we got to thinking about it. It seems like young people seem to react differently than older people. I don't know. That was it. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just ask. It's just a Donald. It's just a simple yes or no question. You, he didn't come over to your house. You had to track him down. Yes. Okay. All right. 
I don't want to get into his motivations. All we don't know what's in his head. You, you may very well may you may very well be right, but I just want to make clear that when he came back and being that he was in the meeting where Jesse disappeared from, and they knew each other for all these years, that he knew he was missing, didn't come over to your house, didn't call you. You had to track him down. I'm not trying to portray him in a bad light. I just want to make sure we get the facts right. Okay. 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 Thank you. All right. And is when you spoke to Ralph, is that when you found out how this disappearance actually happened? That they were in this meeting and then Jesse went out and never came back. Is that when you found that out? We got that through the uh, private investigator in his uh, talking with Ralph. Okay. Uh. Please. We did meet Ralph. I want you to know we mm-hmm. did meet Ralph. We had one of our uh, events, our annual events that we had for Jesse and other missing. And Ralph did appear at one of those events, and we were able to meet him and talk with him a little bit. Uh, okay. But uh, most mostly the information we got was through the the report that the, the private investigator made. Okay. So you're not having uh, a ton of luck with this, uh, the students, um, you know, being forthcoming. Um, but eventually, you do get the details of what of what Ralph said that they were at this uh, conference, and then uh, I think it's you know well known now that Jesse uh, took off, did not come back after the break. Did Ralph ever tell you what he thought? When Jesse didn't come after the break, I'm guessing that Ralph stuck around for the rest of the meeting until six in the morning or wherever it was. But Jesse didn't come back. Did he ever convey to you what he thought happened when Jesse didn't return after the break? No, he he uh, didn't seem to uh, be surprised or express any kind of uh, uh, you know that he thought it was strange or anything. Uh, I know that when Jesse went to leave, Ralph did say that Jesse leaned over and said something to him right before he left for the break, but Ralph didn't catch it, and he just didn't want to really uh, make Jesse repeat it, I guess, so he just kind of nodded his head, and then Jesse left at that time. So I don't think uh, Ralph really knew what was going on. Uh, you know, up to the point that he returned to the room in the morning. And uh, uh-huh. I think uh, from that point forward, then he, uh, well, it, when he initially returned to their room, he looked in Jesse's room, the lights were off, there was a big mound on Jesse's bed, and he just thought Jesse was in there. And then he went to bed. Uh-huh. And I think it was probably 10 a.m., I think he said that he got up, Looked in the room and realized Jesse hadn't been there. And then it moved forward from there. Okay. So uh, was Ralph Jesse's roommate? Did they have roommates in the in this hotel when they were up there? Were they roommates? Yes, there were three of them in that particular room. Okay. And so what what Ralph is saying is when he came back after the conference was over. Uh, at 6 a.m. or whenever it was, when he went in there, he actually thought that Jesse was on his bed asleep. So are we then to believe that he believed that Jesse just kind of blew off the second half and went back to the room and fell asleep? Apparently so, yes. He didn't seem surprised uh, okay. about the whole thing. So. Okay. And so but you weren't alerted until 3 o'clock on 
on November 21st. Uh, what time would you say that they, the people who were in Chicago, realized that Jesse wasn't ready to go back to Missouri? What, what time was that? I think uh, Ralph probably uh, shared with the sponsors uh, sometime that morning. He, I think he got up maybe 10 o'clock, and at that time, he, uh, at some point in that uh, time frame, he went to the sponsors and advised him that he didn't know where Jesse was. Okay. All right. Um, let's now move on to what we call uh, the rest of the case uh, here on Unfound, where we get a little deeper into uh, some of these things. Uh, what searches were done in Chicago? Um, maybe you can first start with the ones on land. Okay. Uh, they advised us, the police advised us, that they had a number of detectives who uh, did a search of the local area. Uh, they, uh, I assume, with local businesses and, and the area between the two hotels. And, uh, there's also, I understand they call it Underground Chicago or something. There are actually streets under streets, and they're right there close to Jesse's hotels. They went down in those areas and, and uh, searched dumpsters and various things and interviewed uh, homeless people and, and uh, I think maybe they even took cadaver dogs and uh, then from there they uh, I think they gathered videos from the hotel and from the various uh, businesses around there. Okay. And um, nothing's found. No, no sign, no signs. Nobody had seen uh, Jesse at all. Not as clean. Okay. Now, they also did some searches on the water, and the reason they would have done this is because the hotel uh, where this conference was was right next to the, the Chicago River. What did they do in the river? Okay, they had uh, boats out in the river with sonar, and they had divers. So they apparently went out in the area behind the hotel and a certain stretch there in the river and they they checked it out with the sonar and the divers. Uh, we heard recently they have a new, uh, more accurate sonar and I understand they were, not too long ago, they were back out in the river again. Uh, they did uh, helicopter searches along the shoreline of the lake. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, I guess that's Okay. Uh, pretty much the, the uh, extent of their searches. Okay. And you had told me that somebody who is an expert, maybe it's part of the police department, maybe the fire department, I don't know, uh, told you what are the odds that they gave you as the possibility that they might have missed Jesse's body if he went into the river the night before or at some point? Yes. Uh, one of the detectives on the case in the very beginning when we talked to him and they, the search turned up negative, he, he told me something like 99.9% .9 of the time that uh, bodies, uh, if a body goes into that river, it will turn up. He said there are even particular spots where they know to look and everything 
And uh, mm-hmm. so he was confident that Jesse was not in the water at that time. Okay, so in their opinion, the odds being that they search it, and, and I'm going to take for granted that uh, they have quite a few people who go into the Chicago River over the course of a year, whether it's through suicide or by accident, boating accidents or whatever, they believe with 99.9% assurity or certainty that they would have found Jesse in the water if he was there. Yes. Okay. All right, and I think that there was something about there's gates or something with the river that would not allow – bodies to go out into the lake is that correct yes the uh, city of chicago years and years ago apparently uh, the lake uh, see the lake water from the river would run out into the lake uh, people were using uh, back in the good old days were using the, the river for their uh, sort of their restroom and then it would flow in the lake and then they would uh, get their drinking water from the lake, and uh, somebody thought that was not too good an idea. So they built these lots, and it essentially reversed the flow of the water so that the water would come in from the lake into the river. Right. So, uh, right. With it, the way it's set up, it was very, very unlikely that a body would be going out to the lake. Okay. All right. Uh, we talked to police officers later on and after they passed the case along to two or three different detectives and they began to talk more like no they they were confident he went in the water now they didn't tell me why they thought that but it was a a change in, in what they were telling okay okay so what you're saying is at the time in 2006 maybe into early 2007 the attitude was we're 99.9% sure that he didn't go into the water, but you're just telling me at some later point, maybe a year later, five years later, some investigators have told you, you know what, maybe he did. Maybe that 99.9% went down to like 75%. Yeah, they, okay. there was a change. Okay, there was a change. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Ralph uh, one more time, and you had mentioned this statement that Jesse made to him before Jesse left the room. Unfortunately, Ralph didn't hear it for some reason. Maybe he wasn't close enough. Maybe Jesse was speaking under his breath. Maybe it was loud in the room. Um, What was Ralph's impression on the reason that Jesse was leaving the room? Did Ralph think that he was going to the restroom. Did Ralph, when you eventually did get to talk to him, did he have any inkling why Jesse was leaving the room in the first place? Uh, no, he did not. Uh, it was a scheduled break, so he knew that Jesse, like everyone else, was going on break. Uh, but he had no clue whatsoever. I'm assuming that maybe when Jesse leaned over and spoke to him, there might have been mm. something there, but like I say, he, he didn't hear it, so okay. he was basically assuming Jesse uh, went on break. Okay. And Ralph is saying that he stayed in the room, in that conference room during the break? Uh, Ralph didn't leave when Jesse did. Apparently, when they called a break, Jesse popped up and, and 
uh, you know, said he was gone. Off and off he went. So there were people milling about that were on their way out for break. Uh, now Jesse went out. There were double doors at the back of the room. Jesse went out that way, and uh, generally people would be going out the front doors out into the main corridor and uh, out generally into the hotel if they chose. Okay. Well, that takes us right to the next uh, part of our interview, which I think probably of everything in in this disappearance is probably the most confounding part, and that is the video um, regarding uh, his disappearance or lack thereof. And I'm sure many of Unfound's listeners are going to think back to a, a disappearance we just did a few weeks ago, another disappearance that happened in a hotel where there was no video or no video that was – hotel was willing to give up but just to be clear just so we before we get into this there is no video of jesse anywhere after he leaves the conference room Uh, that's my understanding okay since in the last 13 years nobody the police nobody else anybody at the hotel has ever showed you any video of jesse at let's just pick a a time 2 30 in the morning in the hotel by himself Right. Now, before the meeting, we did see, like I say, the police uh, gave us a still photo that showed Jesse standing in front of that conference hotel with his phone. Mm-hmm. And we assumed that was probably where he was calling to let the uh, someone know about the meeting. And uh, it looked possibly like that still was from a video from an outside camera. Okay. But, uh, but we never, we never saw any uh, actual video, so we don't know if that's correct or not. So you're accurate in saying that there's nothing really there. Okay. Uh, around the time of the actual meeting and all, there's nothing on video beyond that point. Okay, because I think a lot of people get confused because um, some people may be familiar with the photo that you're talking about where. He's on his phone. I think he's holding the phone with his left hand, and he's walking like at an angle compared to where the camera is. That is taken before he before this conference happened. And also, there's another picture of him standing inside at, at an elevator that is also taken well before this uh, disappearance happened. This happened. That happened well before. That picture was apparently from video at the other hotel where Jesse was staying, the Four Points Hotel. Mm, yes. Over off of uh, Michigan Avenue. So, yeah, there, from the very beginning, people, even the news media really got that confused. Yes. Reporting that that was from the conference hotel, and, and uh, that was incorrect. It was from his hotel he was staying in. Okay. So though, what we're really saying is those videos are not helpful in trying to determine uh, why or how or anything regarding his disappearance because they were taken well before he disappeared. Yes. Oh, okay. Has anybody been able to explain to you how he would have been able to leave that conference room and let's say leave the hotel without getting put on video somewhere? Uh well, from where he left the meeting room and went out those double doors, there's a little utility 
a corridor. And from there, there's a side door, goes upstairs to the, uh, excuse me, to the exit uh, from the hotel. And when you open that door, it's basically pitch black. There's no camera. The camera's at the other end of the hotel where the taxis and limos and the various people pull up. And there's normally a doorman, I think, at that end. And there's cameras. But there's nothing at that exit that we uh, feel Jesse could have taken. And from there, uh, leaving the hotel, there's there's some darkened areas around there. Mm-hmm. But uh, from what the police were telling us, they uh, were able to get a substantial number of videos from local businesses in, in that area. So I think that's why it's really puzzling to them that he should, by odds, he should have been on some of those videos somewhere. If he was walking. Yes. Okay. Uh, there is a, a, in front of the hotel, there's a little uh, street. It's kind of divided in two little lots. And there's a street in the middle of it, and generally there will be a string of cabs sitting in that uh, street there waiting for anybody that might need a cab. And, uh, we actually, uh, I was with a friend, and on one of our trips, we were actually able to visit with a cab driver, and we shared posters and everything, and we asked him to uh, talk with his, you know, his fellow uh-huh. cabbies out there and see if anyone remembered seeing Jack here, maybe if he took a cab. Now, again, I think this is something that the police may have looked into, uh, but we really didn't, uh, you know, we didn't go up and go from cab to cab and that right. kind of thing. So All right, okay. Maybe we should, I don't know. So what you're saying is it is certainly conceivable that Jesse could have left the hotel where the conference was without being seen on video because he was never in a part of the hotel where there were any cameras. Uh, yes. Okay. Assuming that he left the hotel. Assuming, of course. Of course. Within the hotel, there's that numerous cameras all over. So that, yeah, that's an assumption we kind of had to make. Okay. So um, for anybody out there who's wondering, well, how could he have left this hotel without being caught on video? Well, what you're saying is there is a very good possibility he could have done that. And in fact, other students have had used the path that you were talking about to leave the hotel while they were at this conference. Yes, that's uh, some information we, I believe, maybe got through Ralph. Was it, it was a popular exit for a lot of the students. Okay, because it was kind of a like a shortcut of some type. Right, and two, I, it's not unimaginable that other students might have decided to take a little break from the meeting in that conference room and might have just eased out that back door you okay. know, without really being noticed. So, okay. Uh, it was popular, yes. But for the record, not one student has ever stated that they saw Jesse leave the hotel that night. Despite all of these students being there, despite maybe him using this particular path that was used by other students, nobody has ever said, yeah, I saw Jesse leave the hotel that night. Right. Okay. Even, I think we had a comment on some website. Someone said, well, if he was such a popular guy, why was he all alone? 
Well, see, that's our Jesse. He was a popular guy and everything, but he was kind of a when he when there were things he wanted to do, he was kind of a loner, and it didn't bother him at all. He wasn't afraid or anything. He just wanted to do it. He did it. Okay. Um, let's talk about his phone uh, very quickly. Now we know that he did have a cell phone there. You talked to him at least once. Maybe your wife talked to him. Uh, at least once. We know that on the video he had his cell phone with him when he was going to the this uh, meeting at 1 a.m. Uh, early November 21st. Uh, what have you learned from the phone records? Did they ping his phone? Did his phone continue to work for some time after this break? What do you know about that? Uh, from what we were told by police, they stated that uh, maybe 10 minutes after the break had been called, uh, Jesse's phone stopped pinging the local towers. So in effect, it was inoperable or it was shut off or something along those effects. So, ten minutes. Uh, that was, yes, ten minutes. That's pretty fast, Donald. That... Yes, it is. It, it uh, certainly makes you wonder if, if something happened. Right. If it happened right there within close proximity of the hotel, so I, I can't imagine it's possible. I suppose that he shut it off, didn't want to, uh, you know, get any incoming calls at that time. But like I say, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, because ten minutes. I mean, if he was on foot, the average person. Um you know how far can they how far can they walk in ten minutes? You know, not too far. You know, you know what I mean. So it would be in close proximity to the hotel as to where his phone would have been shut off, unless, of course, he got in a car or something. Okay, ten minutes. Yes. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, who was paying for his phone bill at that time? Were you, or did he have bills coming to the house, or what? I think at that time uh, he was on his own uh, billing. Okay. We had we had previously had like a family plan, but it seems like he was always getting into something, and we were getting these big phone bills. So we said everybody's on his own. <laughs> so he he was on his own phone. Okay. And after he disappeared, he would have gotten a bill probably that came to your house, being that he's still living there. Were you able to look at that bill and see if he made any calls um, before – we know that he made this one call to another student about the meeting. Were there any calls made after that, any texts, texts made after that? Did you look? That's a good question. I honestly don't even remember uh, getting a bill. I think uh, – I don't know. I uh, – Certainly, him being at the house, that, like I say, it's a very good question. I do not remember that. I know the police asked us to contact his provider for uh, information on calls he might have made because they had to go through a court process and so on. They said if we just called and asked, uh, they might do that for us. And I, I think we did do that, and we actually received a a listing, and there were a few phone calls on there, but you know, nothing uh, indicative of no local calls or nothing indicative of a 
being present somewhere or calling a particular place or person. It was more, uh, I think there was a call for something he ordered online and, and possibly the one phone call he made uh, to the person prior to the meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. But we forwarded it to the police, and I think they have it as evidence. But there was just nothing on there that really made you say, hey, this is strange. Okay. All right, so you're not sure if you ever did get that next bill at your house, which of course would have given you easy access to his, um, you know, his phone records for you know the 20th into the 21st. Maybe that call wasn't the last call, but you'd think that the police would have looked into that. Maybe, hopefully, they would tell you about that. But the important part is, uh, for what the police told you, 10 minutes after the break started is when his phone. Was shut off, battery taken out, something. Yes, it could have even the battery could have been low. Who knows? Could be that. That's certainly that's possible. Correct. Certainly possible. Certainly possible. Now let's get back, and this goes back to something we talked about early on: is love of music, him being an intern at this radio station. Um, some of the students did talk about him having CDs. On this trip that he had put this music uh, together uh, himself. Uh, maybe you need to tell the listeners a little bit like uh, about this and that this will take us maybe in a different direction. Yes. Uh, apparently Jesse had prepared some CDs and they called them mixes. And I guess they take various uh, music and they put it together and it makes kind of a, a program uh, something related, I don't know. But anyway, he had uh, talked to some of his fellow students, and he was taking these CDs to Chicago uh, with hopes of maybe uh, sharing them at clubs or, I don't know, radio stations in the hopes that he might uh, have some career opportunities there. And uh, we we weren't real familiar with, with this, but the... Uh, originally the police, I think we talked with them and they really weren't any aware of any CDs and so on, but we talked with people who went up there and I think one of the sponsors was in the van with Jesse and he said Jesse had pulled out these CDs and was showing them and, and explaining what he was wanting to do with them. And I think there were some other people that likewise confirmed he had those CDs. So, uh, okay. At the time that he went missing, uh, and his his things were returned to us, the, the CDs we didn't find any CDs anywhere. They weren't there at the hotel, hmm. so we're not not quite sure what uh, may have happened to him. Were you aware that he had taken when being that um, you, you know you dropped him off uh, maybe that morning that he left? Were you aware that he was taking these CDs with him? No, I I wasn't. Uh, I didn't even know he was doing anything like that. So okay. this was knowledge we acquired after the fact. Okay. And the way you understand him being up there for those four days, would he have had any opportunities, once again, before the night that he disappeared, would he have had any opportunities, or did you hear about him taking any opportunities to take these CDs uh, to any clubs, to any radio stations there. Have you ever heard anything about that? 
we did receive information, and I'm not sure just who from, but uh, we were told that he had gone to these clubs. There were a couple of these clubs right there close to the hotel, and uh, we had received information that he had spent quite a bit of time in these clubs. Uh, and then they had you know, some of the students had uh, told us that maybe he was actually presenting them at radio stations, but we never had any verification of that at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So the only thing we, we felt was probably accurate, uh, one individual stated that they went with Jesse to these clubs. So, uh, you know, like I say, is that so much information mm-hmm. uh, from so many different sources? We just didn't know for sure, but... Uh, he did have the CDs, and he did uh, okay. uh, tell people that that was his his intention to share them, and the, basically out in the market. Okay, so what you're saying is there were people who were with Jesse during this time in Chicago, November 2006, in which he did go to some clubs. Like after things were done for that day, just over those few days, he did do that. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, But you weren't ever able to track any of these places down? Did you ever – or the police or anybody, your private investigator, did they ever run into a club that said, oh, yeah, this kid did come by with a CD? Did did that ever happen? Uh, The police kind of told us early on that they were focused on the hotel, their personal – the, the story they were building is that he, if he was doing anything, he was looking to have a good time and entertainment, and there were rooms there in the hotel where he could go, and, and uh, they could actually drink and make party and be with people, and they said they saw no reason for him to really go beyond the hotel, so I don't think they ever really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we had no CDs, and we had no uh, flyers or where we had nothing to to actually substantiate other than what people had said. So I don't think they really moved in that direction with their investigations at all. What about your private investigator? Uh, he really didn't get too much in that area either. He uh, kind of did some checking, I think, and... Uh, we, we met some people in Chicago, and of course, you know, here it is, it's like maybe 2.30 in the morning, and they said, well, that, uh, you know, these clubs supposedly would be closed by then, and uh, an individual we met in Chicago, a, a lady who helped us out quite a bit, and, and actually went around handing out flyers, she said, well, the official thing is that the clubs close earlier than that, but she, she said, in reality, she knew growing up there that you could get into these clubs about any hour, and uh-huh. uh, you know, and you didn't. It wasn't a big deal. So she uh, she felt like it was entirely possible. So there's just all okay. these scenarios. But the PI really he didn't get too much into this. He he did go up. And he took pictures of the uh, various intersections in the. Uh, the uh, lights, the cameras they had at the traffic intersections, and 
he did get quite a bit of this, and he interviewed uh, people at the hotels and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, uh, I, you may have heard of this, there were some, a couple of detectives in New York that, uh, nationwide, they were speculating about... Uh, the smiley face, the smiley face killers? Yeah. 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 We're not going to, Donald, we're not going to talk about that. All right, so we're not going to. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, let's 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 just let's just stick to this though. Uh, let me ask you this again. Um, so some people said they went with Jesse to these clubs where uh, his CDs were dropped off. Did your private investigator ever talk to any of these people and where they could say, "Yeah, we went to this club"? Did did he ever do anything? I guess he didn't do that. No, he only. Up to a limited number of people. Okay. Uh, you, you know, you have to remember, he was uh, doing this stuff basically pro bono. Sure. He, we hadn't hired him. So yeah. he had a certain level of investigating that he was doing. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, there was somebody, I don't know who it was. If you know, you can, of course, say so. Say who it is. Um, there was something about a yellow flyer for some sort of club. Um, what do you know about that? Uh, we, it was mentioned by, uh, uh, I don't know, two or three people that were up there, but uh, we only had one person that said, oh, yes, definitely, I saw that in his room. Uh, and this is a person that initially... Uh, seemed to be very helpful in the case, but I think at some point the uh, police had interviewed her and uh, they were skeptical about a lot of what she said. So huh. she did, you know, she became kind of a iffy source. Uh, so the flyer huh. has has come up and uh, been mentioned, uh, but you know, mm. uh, we don't have anything on that that we could actually go to the police substantiate that this flyer was there. Okay. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, a mystery. Okay. Many mysteries. Okay. All right. Um, regarding him going to these clubs, somebody saying, yeah, that he did do this. Do you have any idea how he got to these places? I mean, did he take a cab? I mean, I can't imagine there couldn't have, there couldn't have been too many clubs or places where he could drop off his CDs within walking distance of the hotels. I can't imagine that. Um, did he take the bus? Uh, did I, mean, I have to ask, did one of the sponsors who were driving the vans give him a ride? Do you have any idea how he could have gotten to these clubs? Well, there were uh, two clubs. Uh, they, there's two of these, and they're within walking distance of the Are they? Hotel. Okay. Yeah. So uh, other than that, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, anywhere beyond walking distance, we don't know if he was t- taking buses or, or, okay. uh, or just, you know, a taxi even. Uh, Jesse had some money. We didn't mm-hmm. know he had that much, but he had some money. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about that. That's cert- We're certainly going to talk about that in a bit uh, for sure because that, that could be something. Um, but just uh, probably the most important part, though, is he took these CDs to Chicago, and when you got his stuff back, we have to remember that somebody else collected his stuff. 
the CDs were not in there. That's right. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, speaking of transportation in Chicago, uh, were videos of subway stations, or I guess they call it, is it called the L in Chicago? Uh, buses, I, It's you said you already spoke to taxi drivers, but buses, subways, trains, were any videos like those checked? Uh, I don't know. The okay. Police, uh, you know, didn't share a tremendous amount of information with us. They still don't. So right. We really don't know. Uh, okay. Just how much they did say local businesses and the hotel is what they told us. Right. And you would think that would be enough. I have to, I, I have to agree. I, I really can't criticize them for not. Checking any you know subway stations or the L or any buses because you know if he did leave the if he did leave the hotel there would be some sort of video that I would think would catch him walking somewhere but it doesn't seem like that was the case so we just don't know. 2006. I don't know what kind of camera coverage the city mm. had back then. I don't know if the buses and subways. I had ridden their subways and so on, but I guess I never really looked around to see yeah. if they had any kind of video there. So I, I don't know about that. But uh, right. again, you know, they, the police told us they watched hours and hours of video. So that's the information we had. Okay. Thank you. Let's talk about uh, Jesse. And I, I do have to ask you this uh, because that's what I have to do. I the way I think I understand Jesse very ambitious, very conscientious. Do you think that he would blow off the second half? Granted, it's the last day; it's early in the morning. Do you think that he would have blown off that maybe that the time after the break to go to some club that he had researched, he had looked it up to do that instead of finishing out? the rest of that and just leave his friend Ralph there to just do things by himself. Does that sound like something that Jesse might do, you knowing him, him being your son? Uh, yes, I, I think it's entirely possible. Like you say, it, you're getting down at the last, very last day. It's uh, since the, kind of like the last four hours of, of the whole event. And uh, I think that uh, Jesse was impulsive and, and uh, determined enough, I certainly think that if he decided he was going to do that, he would, and he would just, he was very okay. comfortable with Ralph. You know, they worked on a number of projects over the both years that they were there, I think. So I don't uh, believe he would have felt like he was dumping on Ralph or something. And to hear Ralph tell it, I mean, Jesse did say something to him before he left the room, and it very well may be, you know what, Ralph? I'm going to take off the rest of this time. I'm not coming back. You know, I'm going to go do. It very well could be, and Ralph didn't hear it. That could be. Yes, I would like to be a fly on the wall. Right, right. Maybe he said, "I'm going to." You know. Yes, that's right. And it could be. Sure, it could be. Now, granted, 2006. That's before smartphones, at least the way we understand them. In 2019, you did have Blackberries. You might have been able to search. Maybe he used a computer. He could have searched uh, for some other clubs that he knew or something that, you know, after hours club that was open. Very possible. And just was going to do this on his own. Possible. Okay. 
Let's talk about Jesse's mentality, at least the way you understand it. Your opinion. Um, any signs of depression? Any mental uh, issues? Bipolar, schizophrenia, paranoia, anything that you ever experienced, that Jesse ever experienced in his life? Uh, nothing that I know of, no. Uh, and he was scheduled, when he returned home, He, like I say, he was going to become a full, uh, fully employed uh, DJ, and he uh, was going to be starting up uh, classes uh-huh. again, and he had another job, and he was already, when he spoke with his mom on the phone, uh, he talked about his plans when he got back home. Uh, down in our basement, we had it renovated, and we put a room down there for him and uh, had it all painted and everything. And uh, His plans when he got home was to, we would cut this room like the KU colors, and then one wall would be white, and he wanted all his friends to come over and autograph that wall. Neat. So... Yeah, that's neat. So he was okay. He was very much into his plans when he got back. So, no, we we don't uh, we're not aware of anything like that. Okay. So nothing, no signs of that. Uh, no indication from anybody that he was ever depressed or anything like that. So that would somewhat rule out him jumping into the to the river uh, by choice. But of course, we do know those things happen. For some people, um, but no signs that, that Jesse would ever do that. Now, you had mentioned money before. Um, I have to admit, when you told me the amount, I was a little surprised, but he was carrying cash on him while he was in Chicago. How much? Okay, about $400. Wow. His, his mother, when he left, she, she uh, said, you take about $150. It shouldn't be anything you need beyond that. It's that way, it won't, you know, it won't be a, kind of a risk factor. Apparently, after that, he cashed a check he had, and so uh, we were told by a, a couple of people up there that, uh, you know, Jesse had actually, they'd seen him pull his wallet out, and they saw he had a lot of cash in there. So, yes, that certainly uh, colors things and gives you some room for thought. Yeah. Uh, if he pulled that cash out in front of the wrong person... That happens. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know that. Yeah. That certainly happens. And of course, a nineteen-year-old walking around with four hundred dollars. I have to admit, I'm forty-nine years old. I'm not much of a cash guy anyway, as most people know. But I can't remember the last time I had four hundred dollars in my wallet. So when you told me that, I was like, "Wow, wow!" Well, certainly, we we wouldn't have. Uh, you know, if we'd known, we would have said, "No, no, you take a bunch of that out, put yeah. it somewhere. You don't need to be." Like you say, it's it, you don't even realize how many people you pull out all of that. You don't know how many people are seeing. That's seeing true. What you're doing and what you got there. So yeah, and four hundred dollars. Uh, yeah, certainly motivation for our play. So. Could be. Uh, it could be. Um, where uh, you said he cashed a check? Uh, what job was this where he cashed a check? I'm not sure. Like I say, he worked for that uh, voiceover internet company. Okay. So uh, I'm thinking that's the last job he had. Of course, he wasn't getting paid for the internship. So that would be my guess. Okay. $400. That's pretty good work for 
voiceover work uh, for the internet, especially considering that at the time YouTube, I don't even know if it existed or not, Facebook maybe just started, was just getting, you know, running up and running, so that's very interesting. Do you even remember what the name of the company was that he was working for? Uh, no, not really. I just remember he had a friend and they had uh, advised him that there were openings and apparently he went and applied and they took him. So, uh, okay. I really don't, don't remember what that uh, name was on it. Now, he he did initially, again, he had the like $150 in the issue. Mm. My mom, made, my wife, we may have even uh, given him that amount of money I'm not sure what. So the 400 would have been uh, plus that. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. So it was a check for roughly $250. Roughly. Yeah, somewhere in there. That okay. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So we have something going on there, and we can't forget the year before the the, the camera that got stolen, and um, and then he's he's carrying this money around. Just you know, probably not. The safest place in the United States to be carrying around a lot of cash, but we just don't know. Okay. Um, of course, I'm sure you've gotten to know this area of Chicago very well. I think the average person, if they follow the news at all, knows that Chicago has a very high crime rate. It seems like they're breaking uh, their murder rate records every year. Uh, are there any disappearances or or I have to just say it murders in that area of Chicago that you know could be seen as being similar to Jesse's disappearance and in uh, 2005 there was a gentleman named uh, Matthew Simakis I believe who was staying at the, that same conference hotel apparently he called his mother-in-law and they thought Sometime in the morning, advised he would talk to her, but he was on his way to a meeting. Uh, he never arrived at that meeting, and then I don't know exactly the time frame, but at some point in the next few weeks, the Chicago police found his body in the Chicago River. Wow. And, uh, so, uh, okay. We thought it's very similar circumstances at the hotel and the. Uh, you're right. You know, that again, uh, in his case, we're fairly certain he wasn't didn't go out and get uh, drunk and fall in a river or anything because he was headed for a meeting and certainly wouldn't have uh, he didn't wanted to be uh, aware of what he was doing. So I don't know that the police, beyond discovering his body, and I think that I had kind of talked with his family. They wanted to know about Jesse's story, and I talk with him a little bit. Uh, maybe he had a bruise on his head. And, mm -hmm. uh, essentially, the police uh, rule no foul play. Right. He had just fallen in. So. Right. All right, so that was the year before Jesse disappeared, but from the same hotel, and we have to remember this, this man, he was found in the river. He was found. And if Jesse went into the river, we're not saying that. We don't know, but... Jesse's not been found, so it's yeah, okay. All right, so any bit uh, – do you know of anything after Jesse 
I'm not asking you to be an expert, but just anything that you've run across in the last 13 years that you thought was similar to Jesse's uh, disappearance in the general area. Uh, well, in December of that year, we were finally able to get up to Chicago, and I went up with our older boy and our deacon, and we stayed at this conference hotel, and when we were going out, we were going to hand out some flyers about Jesse, and uh, the police called and said that we needed to stay in our rooms. They had found a body in the river, and they needed for us to stay out of it public limelight for a while. They didn't want us to get involved or press or anything. So uh, about 15 minutes later, they called back and said they had a body, but it was not Jesse. <clears throat> the individual had the identification, and it was a suicide. Wow. So, uh, other than that, we, you know, we haven't really, like you say, we're, we're very aware that Chicago has a, yeah. quite a... Uh, crime problem. They have right. problems with organized gangs and so on. And so it's just the uh, potential for violence is certainly there. Right. Okay. All right. So it doesn't, uh, just nothing that really, you know, because as you would suspect, uh, some of the disappearances that I cover can be connected maybe to other disappearances and or, you know, and or murders. And um, it doesn't seem, though, in this case, that Jesse's case, at least for that area of Chicago, seems unique. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say it. it I guess the, the knowledge that we have, his family, knowledge that we have of uh-huh. uh, what went on up there is infinitesimal compared to what we don't know. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's just no answers. Right. Uh, I ask this, we cover this in every uh, interview that I do, at least what I, when I do interviews with family members, Donald. I know the last 13 years uh, has have been difficult. Can you convey to the listeners uh, your feelings? Yes. Uh, I guess... Probably the most significant thing in our lives is that you you get up each day and it's just kind of like it starts all over again. Uh, We still, in our mind's eye, we see 19-year-old Jesse. He would be 32 years old today if he came home. But uh, for us, it's, you know, we're tied to that day as much as possible, we move forward with our lives and we do the things that we have to do every day. But uh, none of that is, all, or all of that that we do is colored by uh, Jesse's disappearance. And whether it's, you know, a movie you see or a book or a story or uh, postings on the Internet and so on, they, they all uh, are colored by our so we still, you know, 13 years later, people say, well, clues are all gone and it doesn't look very much like there's anything out there to go on. But, you know, yesterday right. or today or 13 years ago, it's the same to us. He's missing and he needs to come home. And that's, that's where okay. we are. Okay. So we, you know, it, 
people like yourself uh, who do these podcast things, these are what we hold on to. We really uh, appreciate that, uh, you know, that there are people out there who help us bring Jesse's name up again and say, hey, you know, this isn't over. It's not over. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You know, I, I have to admit, uh, Donald, that from my standpoint, and I think I told you the first time we talked, I've known about Jesse's disappearance for years, and I've only been doing this program for over three. But when I was just, you know, a, a, I guess a regular person who was just interview uh, interested in disappearances, just, you know, in my spare time, I do this as my main job now. But I've known about Jesse's disappearance probably for 10 years. And so I think that what you've been doing, your family's been doing in keeping the word out there has been really, really good. Probably as good as probably as anybody out there. And it seems that uh, a lot of people have taken an interest in their, in his disappearance and know a lot about it. And I think that that's the way this will eventually get solved, I'm hoping. Um, so I do want to applaud you in, in all of the interviews that you've done and keeping the word out there because I know it's not easy because I, I know a lot of people that I've talked to, they do get burnt out because it's not easy to do. Yes, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like stirring the pot when you do that, but at the same time, it's something we know we have to do. And, and uh, you hmm. know, it's not, it's not like sometimes you see movies on television and people and they're hounded by the press and uh, just, you know, it almost like the press is their enemy. But over the years, uh, for us, the people that in the media and uh, the various uh, different uh, public aspects of all this, we found uh, people to be polite and uh, thoughtful of our feelings and we were just really... Uh, amazed, I think, to find that that uh, how well these things are presented. I mean, you know, you will you will take this interview and everything, and you mm-hmm. will present it in in such a way that it will be something that we will be proud of. And we've seen that done so many times uh, that we just you know we're not always together, and we always not sure what we're saying and stuff, but then we see how someone who does what you do, how they put this together and how when they get through with it, it has a sense of flow to it and it does uh, present something that people can really understand. So, uh, you know, our hope mm-hmm. is very strongly in that area. I don't think the, act, the investigation the police are involved in is actually active. That's how they label it. But I don't think there's any real activity going on. Uh, and I don't think it will until somebody outside that institution triggers something. Right. One of these things triggers something. And so that's, that's a great deal of our hope right there right. coming from somewhere other than actually law enforcement. Right. Why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, because I've gotten to watch it, my assistants have gotten to watch it, and I haven't gotten permission uh, from the filmmaker yet to 
uh, post it on Facebook or anything, but hopefully that will happen between now and when this interview plays on Friday, and the listeners should know I'm doing uh, – we're doing this interview on December 18th, 2019. Why don't you talk a little bit about the documentary uh, that was done on Jesse's disappearance, uh, done by Brian? Yes. Uh, we had a friend, Jesse, of course, managed this band, and one of the uh, members of the band – uh, had uh, some video. He had a friend named Brian Rose, and Brian contacted this uh, several years ago, and he was interested in Jesse's story. So over those uh, intervening years, he has traveled and he has interviewed and filmed and, and asked questions, and he's put together a really great documentary. It's uh, appeared in uh, Kansas City, won an award at one of the film festivals. It appeared in Chicago, I believe in St. Louis, and a number of places. Uh, it's called When I Last Saw Jesse, and it's a very good, very good uh, documentation of Jesse's story. And we're yeah. just thrilled that Brian did this on his own, he used his own resources and He's a very talented individual. Right. But, uh, at some point, I think he intends after the uh, it's run the route of the film festivals and so on. I think he wants to maybe set up like a permanent online site where people can right. access the film. So we're we're waiting for developments in that area. Right. Uh, the listeners should know once again. Uh, currently doing this interview afternoon of November or December eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. Once again, I've seen the video. My assistants have seen the video. However, it is password protected on Vimeo, and I've not gotten permission from Brian yet to give out the password. Hopefully, I'll have that by the time you're listening to this, so hopefully all of you uh, can get to watch it. It's about an hour and a half long, very well done, but I'm not going to give out the password to watch it without his permission. That's just the way it is. Uh, it's his his work, not my own. So hopefully he'll give me permission to do that. If he doesn't, uh, it's kind of out of my hands. Um, Donald, do you have a, a website and or Facebook page set up for Jesse? And if so, um, why don't you tell the listeners about those right now? Uh, we have a website. The uh, private investigator we worked with had some contacts, and he set up a website uh and I think it's like www.findjessieross.com. Uh, there are some other sites uh, out there. Uh, what we, over the years, what we have done is you, you simply go out on uh, your web browser and you type in Missing Jesse Ross, you will find huge, mm -hmm. huge amounts of information and various websites. So uh, we've been very fortunate to have that kind of coverage. Yes. I know there are, there are other families who didn't nearly get that kind of coverage. It's really good for us. Uh, why don't you say, uh, what's the Facebook page? Uh, yes, it's called Missing Jesse Ross. Okay. And you, you said, why don't you say the, you have a website as well. Why don't you say that again? Okay, that was www.find.com. Uh, jesseross.com okay great alright uh, it's great you have a website out that's not very common 
Um, most people just have Facebook page and of pages, and of course I've covered some that had neither. But it's good that you have both uh, there, Donald. Um, any final words before we complete this interview? I think we, we usually always uh, kind of uh, end our interviews and so on by cautioning people, and especially my wife. She's very big on that. Uh, especially, you know, young people, whomever, when you're traveling and so on, to be aware of your surroundings and, and uh, don't don't take things for granted as far as your safety. Uh, we we don't know what happened to Jesse, but we just we try to urge people that if it doesn't look kosher, uh, don't don't feel embarrassed or afraid to back out of something and and uh, go with your feelings and just be safe. That's, okay. We, we still, uh, because of Jesse, we Facebook. We just get tons of, of notices of missing persons, and there's new ones every day. So uh, we really like to caution people. Okay, that's great. That's great information. Yeah, got to keep uh, aware of your surroundings. And once again, we don't know what happened in Jesse's case. Maybe it had something to do with that. Maybe not. But that's always good advice. Thank you. And, uh, Donald, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. We thank you. We sure appreciate you taking the time and doing this with us. Uh, if you need anything else, please let us know. Well, you're welcome, and I will certainly do that, Donald. I will do that. And that was my interview with Donald Ross, father of Jesse Ross. I thank him for joining me and all of you on this episode. I was able to exchange emails with the filmmaker who made the Jesse Ross documentary. At this time, his movie is not available for public consumption. His plans are to put it on sale next year. So at this time, I am not permitted to give out the link and password on Vimeo. However, when it comes out, you should see it. It's very good. To comment on Jesse's case is like trying to find something new in Mara Murray's disappearance. Or Jennifer Kessie's or Amelia Earhart's, or any other disappearances that have been gone over so many times by so many different people that there's not too much original or interesting left to say. So I'm just going to tell you what strikes me, no matter if it's been said before or not. What hits me is the lack of concern the students on that trip showed for Jesse. And I must start with Ralph himself. And you should know, he's no longer with us. He died in a car wreck thus cannot be questioned about this case anymore. But I really cannot understand Ralph's actions, not the night of the disappearance or when he got back to Missouri. If I were on that trip with my best friend, Doug, granted he and I did not go to college together, but if he and I were up at 2.30 a.m. for some conference like Jesse and Ralph were, and during a break, Doug took off, I'm telling you, I would be ticked. I'd be thinking, here I am, stuck here for the next three hours. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I now have to do all this work myself while Doug is probably back at the room or meeting some girl or going back to the party. I'd be calling him. I'd be texting him. I'd be saying to the other students, can you believe my best friend bailed on me? In fact, 
If I suspected I knew where Doug was, I might duck out of the meeting myself just to give him a piece of my mind. And at that point, I'd probably just bail on the thing totally. But, nope. Seemingly, Ralph stayed in the conference room for the rest of the night. Didn't try to contact Jesse at all. Then, when he got back to their room, Ralph didn't give Jesse a hard time for not coming back after the break. In fact, to hear Ralph tell it, all he did was take a cursory glance where Jesse would have been sleeping. Ralph saw a pile of clothes, and from that, Ralph thought Jesse was sleeping somewhere in that mound, but didn't try to wake his best friend up at all to give him a hard time about why Jesse left the conference room early. Instead, Ralph went to sleep, not realizing that Jesse wasn't in that other bed and didn't realize so until the next morning. Meaning, I need to know something. Since when did college students become so cordial and uncaring about going to class while their best friends successfully skip it? To add insult to injury, Ralph then goes back to Missouri and as one of Jesse's friends, he doesn't even go over to the Ross home to tell them what he knew or to even offer them words of support. Something I am sure I would have done for Doug's parents had he disappeared during a trip we were on. In fact, Donald said Ralph told people he just wanted it all to go away. What? Right about now, you're probably wondering, well, Ed, what does this all mean? Donald claims this could just be how kids that age act. Uh, maybe some kids, but not the kind I would think Jesse would be around. If everything were reversed, I have to believe Jesse would have gone to Ralph's house to talk to his family. Could there be another explanation besides kids just being kids? Sure, there could be. The problem is those other explanations are worse than Ralph just showing no concern for his friend. And I really don't want to get into those theories here. So I will just add this, and this comes from the documentary. I hope the filmmaker doesn't mind me pointing out something from it. Would you believe there were still students, years after Jesse disappeared, who would not allow their real names to be used when commenting on what happened in Chicago that night? Does any of this make sense? That's the question I have for you. Could it be we should be concentrating on a different definition of the word break instead of the one that means to take a pause from work? I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.